Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Six Figure Author Podcast, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And I'm Joe Lalo. And um, today we're actually interviewing Lindsay. She, if you don't know who she is, <laughs> she's one of the co-hosts for our podcast. Um, and most of our questions come from listeners, but one or two of them come from Joe and me. Uh, we'll be talking about genre hopping, long-term success of short stories, advertising, long series versus short series, and a bunch of other fun stuff plus marketing, 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 and some marketing. <laughs> Before we go into that, I told, I told Lindsay, I was like, if we mention marketing, everybody's going to listen <laughs> to the whole show. You think so? Um, oh, we should say that you guys get your turn too. So people, they're wondering why I'm so special. <laughs> it's like, no, no. You I'm are so first. special. <laughs> I was like, we're going to interview Lindsay. Lindsay's like, we're not going inter- to interview Lindsay. <laughs> no, I like the idea of having discussions. So we will probably get in a little bit of discussing from me and Joe, but this is primarily a, a Lindsay interview episode. Um, and those of you in the Facebook group, you had the chance to ask questions from her. We do have a whole ton of questions, so we probably won't be able to get to all of them, but we will uh, add those to a future Lindsay episode. Um, and if you want to ask questions for any of those future ones, then make sure you you join our Facebook group. Um, and they're not all just going to be Lindsay episodes. <laughs> want to make clear, we will be doing one for Joe in a couple of weeks and then about a month after that, or in about a month, uh, one for me. Um, anyway, so let's just... Yeah, let's go into news, if that's okay with you guys. And I think, Joe, you can go ahead and go first on that. Okie dokie. Um, so I've had some of my worst productivity weeks in years the last couple of weeks. I can't imagine why. Uh, there's anxiety due to just global events, which is sort of always lately, but more acutely recently. Uh, also, I live with my brother and sister-in-law. And if you, uh, if you have particularly good speakers, you might hear thumping upstairs because everybody's home. Uh, and that's a little distracting. It will become more distracting because to varying degrees, both my brother and my sister-in-law are essential workers. So uh, pretty soon I'm going to have to pick up some slack on keeping an eye on my nephew. Uh, but, you know, everybody's doing their part. Um, Book-wise, Book of Deacon 6 is just about ready to release. I think the official release date is the 16th. And um, I'm in the midst, like between when we record this and when it goes live, I will have received an international book bub on, on uh, my Book of Deacon boxed set. Uh, so we'll see how that does. I'm currently running, I mentioned last time, uh, I'm, I'm running a carousel ad for, for the entire series because the entire series has been discounted. With The first book has always been free, but now the, uh, the box set is 99 cents and uh, each successive book in a six book series is a dollar more expensive than the previous one. So book two is 99 cents. It works all the way up to the $5 new release. By the numbers, uh, this is a Facebook ad, by the way. By the numbers, it's doing okay. Uh, It's kind of hard to track exactly how well it's doing it because obviously the most conversion is going to be on the free book and you basically can't track how well a free book thing does. I mean, I know I'm getting tons of clicks, but uh, uh, it looks like it's going to have a positive return on investment. It's not going to be a bonanza but nothing seems to be a bonanza these days. Uh, and also, I'm creeping toward the end of uh, Free Range 6, which is going to be the next book in the year of 6. And I'm already starting to make plans on what I'm going to do for that release. I'm not going to do exactly the same thing because for, what, well, for, for a reason I think I know, Free Range series has done, traditionally it's done better wide than on Amazon. Uh, specifically, it's done extremely well on Apple. And this is the series that had an editorial review on Apple back in 2012 with the first book in the series. And they have traditionally, I've spoken to them to do a separate 
uh, like I, I've done promotions through Apple with FreeWrench more often than any of my other series. So I'm going to probably reach out to them once I'm finished. And I know how long the book is and therefore when the cover is going to be in and all that stuff and see if I can set up what I've done in the past with them is a, is a time limited exclusivity where they get it two weeks early. We'll see if I do that again. I might talk to them about doing a, uh, the same thing, discounting the entire series, but maybe see if they can push a little bit the fact that the whole series is discounted. We'll see. All that is maybe. I haven't sent any emails yet. But uh, yeah, that's where I am. That's, that's the, the busyness that is my life. All right. Well, I, I just want to say for you and for everyone out there listening, I think everybody's struggling with productivity right now. I saw something on Facebook like, you have all the time in the world right now to like learn a new language or learn an instrument or learn this. I was like, man, people are so worried about everything right now. Nobody's trying to learn any instruments. I mean, congratulations if you can do that. But it's okay if you're just treading water. You know, I think we're all like that right now. Um, for my news, I just, I, you've probably heard this, I think Joanna's mentioned it on the Creative Pen too, but ACX is taking a long time to approve audiobooks right now. Uh, I've been waiting almost two months for one that, uh, you know, it's disappointing because everybody from my narrator to the proofreaders to me hurried up to get it done early so it could go live with the book launch of the new series which was February 28th, and uh, we're now, it's April 6th, it's, like I said, almost two months since I turned it in, uh, and nothing, I emailed them and got a canned response, and they really fell apart before any of this virus stuff started, so I don't know what's going on over there, but it, it is a shame, because you do so much better if you can uh, get your audiobook out there the same time as their launch, when your book's still selling well. <laughs> um, in other news, you guys have probably heard that uh, Amazon has been offering two free months of KU. And, you know, you may be thinking, well, this is a really good time. People are going to be just doing the subscription stuff now while money's tight. So, uh, you know, I've seen a few people think, well, maybe I should pull my stuff from wide and go all in with KU right now. Um, my thought is maybe, maybe not, you know, because uh, Amazon, they can adjust the pot every month and they do. But it's important to remember that the more pages that are read overall, the less we get for page reads in, in general unless they throw in a whole bunch of extra money. So, you know, do whatever seems right for you. I'm thinking of doing a, one of those cheap box sets with my pen name because those books have just kind of been languishing as I've ignored them. Um, but they are in KU, so it doesn't involve pulling anything, just getting a new cover. But I am going to wait a month or two and kind of see what the payout is for March and April before I do anything drastic. Uh, funnily, I wanted to mention, we've actually, I got this email a while ago, but we had a whole bunch of interviews lined up in uh, March, but this is from Google Play. They just wanted to let people know that it's, they've now made it easier to make an account. You can visit uh, g.co slash play slash publish, and I'll put that in the show notes, to create account in a few easy steps. There's no longer an invitation code that may or may not go missing in the mail uh, when you're setting up an account. And they also have a 7% affiliate program. If that's something you want to do, you can sign up for. So when you direct, same as Amazon, if you direct sales to them and use that affiliate code, uh, you can get a little extra money besides just the sale of your books. And they, they promise they're going to have more tools coming to help us promote books. So uh, I've talked about before, Google Play actually does pretty well for me considering I don't usually link directly to anything there. I have started linking directly to that and Kobo and all those. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's something to watch if you are wide and that's something of interest. Uh, we've mentioned before, it's linked to the Android phone. So it actually has a pretty big user base just by default. So um, that's all I will speak about in the news portion today. Okay, so my news is I've, uh, we've, we, my husband and I, finished Raven Huntress and handed it off to 
uh, my editor. This is the first book that we've um, co-written together, and it went actually better than I expected, given the fact that we, you know, haven't done this before. Um, there were a couple of little <laughs> arguments here and there. It's kind of fun because I'm, I'm pretty sure other co-writers would never argue about some of the things that we've argued about. But um, it's been really awesome uh, just having him. I mean, he was super involved in the, you know, the earlier books in the series because it's about a guy who is very similar in personality to my husband. So I was always like, okay, so put yourself in this situation. How would you handle this? And Anyway, so we're starting the next book in the series um, tomorrow. We've been brainstorming over the last few days and outlining and I'm pretty excited about it. But we found out that while brainstorming the end of this six book series, it's actually a seven book series. <laughs> and so uh, my series, I, I can't seem to go shorter than six books. I think I've done um, my the local elementary school we work with. We did three books for that series. And that was the shortest I, I've ever been in not for any of my adult or teen books. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. We've been, we're shifting things around and, and getting super excited about it. Um, though I am not going to be putting this one up for pre-order. I will tell you right now, this, this one is going to go when it goes. I'm not going to commit myself to anything. I mean, yeah. Um, I mentioned in our last episode, maybe two weeks ago, or was it last week? I don't remember, but my stuck inside book event, um, when I was putting all my books up on promotion, that went really well. It felt, it was really nice to be able to help people with their boredom while also helping me with, you know, royalties and things like that. Um, but it also gave me the opportunity to talk about something other than stress from book projects and health situations. Um, and then on a personal note, um, we are taking the baby into the doctor today for lots of reasons. We don't know what's going on. He's just been all over the place health-wise. And it's just been, the last few days have been really hard. Um, yeah, so just looking forward to getting back into normal routine stuff. And like Lindsay and Joe were saying, it's really hard to concentrate right now. But um, yeah, just doing our best, keeping up with everything. Uh, we're going to go ahead and go into the listener questions now. And the first one is from Jane Hawk. And this is for Lindsay. Um, and she asks, what differences have you found marketing wise between your different genres? For example, urban fantasy requires higher uh, AMS bids. Sci-fi romance does really well with cover reveals, etc. All right. Well, before I answer that, I just want to say, I hope the kiddo's okay. This is not the virus stuff, right? This is kind of ongoing. No, it's yeah. not the virus. He's just been, I mean, he's struggled. He's gone back and forth between like severe constipation and severe diarrhea. And we don't know if it's food related, allergy related. I mean, he was really constipated and eating jars of prunes and still having problems. So we don't know if he swallowed something and he's got like an obstruction or something, you know, so we're just going to hopefully just go get him checked out and see if that, and of course he's, yeah all the allergy stuff still. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hopefully that will be okay. And they'll come up with a, a solution that will be helpful. Um, to answer Jane's question. Yeah. What have I found between, so I've done, let's see now, space opera, steampunk, kind of epic fantasy, um, sci-fi romance under the pen name and a uh, new series is urban fantasy. So I've, I've jumped around quite a bit on the, they're all under the umbrella of sci-fi and fantasy, but, uh, like Jane said, like I've mentioned before, I've definitely found that the bid costs are higher in urban fantasy. I have seen things come down, uh, as we mentioned, especially on Facebook and even on Amazon this month, uh, suggested high bids, you know, have come down a little bit, but yeah, they're definitely, you know, I look over, I still have some ads going on at Epic Fantasy, 
kind of box set. And like, wow, those are half, you know, they, I, they get a lot more clicks because it's a box set and they're half the price, you know, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, I did try to go lower when I first started with the urban fantasy, you know, kind of experimenting like how, you know, uh, we just had Brian on and talking about 30 cent clicks. I'm like, okay, I tried to get some 75 cent clicks and I barely got any traction, even with a 99 cent book. Um, and, and for me, I'm not trying to like spend two hours to make two book sales. I, I really, I got to monitor how much time I spend on this stuff. So I really want to see a lot of impressions, a lot of clicks and a lot of sales for the time I invest into ads. Cause uh, there's definitely a, would I be better off writing element to that? And um, so I found that yes, more expensive in more popular genres, which shouldn't be surprising at all. I've also noticed that some genres seem to do better on some advertising platforms versus others. I think I've talked about this before, but when I the last it's been a while since I did sci-fi romance with the pen name, but when I ran those on Bookbub, I really had a great conversion compared to like my epic fantasy. And I think with that was because Bookbub doesn't have sci-fi romance as a category, so their subscribers were probably like looking for it but not getting much of it so that's something to keep in mind maybe uh, with bookbub if you're sort of between niches and uh giving people something they're not seeing in the regular deals it might have a shot to do better you know and i've heard romance authors say that facebook really does well for them i've uh you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well with a box set, 99 cent box set right there right now. Like, it's hard to know if uh, that's because, it, you know, I think it's more that it's just a really good deal right now rather than uh, epic fantasy is super popular. Um, we've talked about how urban fantasy can be a little difficult on Facebook because there aren't very many authors you can target. It's, it's kind of a newish genre. You can't go back to like uh, Tolkien, <laughs> you know, for uh, as you can with epic fantasy. Uh, you know, and I, I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, Joe was talking about how with the steampunk, how it's done really well on Apple. I feel that to some extent too, I like my epic fantasy is generally done better wide than my space opera. And uh, it's, it's hard to say that, you know, I don't have enough space opera series out there wide yet to really see if that's for sure. But I've certainly found that, uh, I, I do believe that on some stores and in some countries, uh, that certain genres are probably going to be do better than others. Uh, you know, anything said in America is probably not going to sell as well in Europe. And uh, I, I think it was Michael Anderley had an interesting theory about sci-fi that it, it was more popular in countries that actually have space programs, which, you know, that can make a lot of sense that people are just more excited in general. It's, you know, obviously, I mean, the space-centric stuff, not just necessarily near-future sci-fi. So that, that was an interesting theory, and, and I could see that being, uh, being a case more so than in countries where they're not worrying about that yet or don't have a program. Um, I, I feel that if you're in a newer or smaller niche, one where there's a really hungry audience, that you can still get away with like less rocking covers. <laughs> uh, as an example, just kind of recently, I've seen some kind of ridiculous stuff under the lit RPG. Ridiculous covers, I should say, not um, books or, or blurbs or anything like that. That I actually clicked on them because at first glance, I was like, are these being like click plotted to the top with click bars because the covers are so bad. It's like somebody with a, you know, <laughs> crayon could have done better. But you look in and the reviews seem legitimate and it, it looks like, you know, and these authors have published other books by this point. So it looks like it's just an example of a niche where pe- the audience is so hungry that they're not caring about the covers. They're just like, you know, and maybe the stories are so wonderful too that their uh, word of mouth is helping themselves. So, but I would say, you know, still, you're going to have a lot better shot if you have great covers. Obviously, that can't hurt anything. But um, 
it's, it's, you know, it's probably, there's still niches and genres out there where if you poke around, it's going to be a little easier overall if people are looking for it and they're not finding what they want. And, and that may just be a trope within a niche too. I, I remember on our old, old show, Sci-Fi Marketing Podcast, we had a guest on that was doing sci-fi romance, a really specific like uh, aliens. I don't know. It was very specific niche that was underserved and she was doing really well right out of the gate. Um, you asked specifically, specifically about marketing, but um, I just, I'm going to say too, with stories, I feel that in some genres you can, they're a little more forgiving, the audience, about not being specifically to a, a certain trope or leaning heavily on expected carrier, character types and stories. Like I did pretty well with both of my space opera series. And then the second one in particular really has a lot of atypical heroes. The heroes are roboticists, which sounds great for sci-fi, but you know, you got a lot more like Han Solo types out there. I would say we're way more typical or Mal and, and Firefly, sort of the captain or the, the pilot character. But, uh, you know, especially in the first couple of books, it wasn't very typical of a space opera plot. It still did pretty well, I thought. Uh, I think with other genres, you may be a little more limited with how far you can stray away from the expected if you really want to sell well. All right, that's enough babbling on that one. <laughs> okay, so the next question uh, is from Mark Wilhelm, and he says, uh, to piggyback on this great question for Lindsay, what advice in general do you have for authors who are interested in writing in both fantasy and sci-fi genres? Would you suggest using pen names? Would you suggest segmented mailing lists? Any other advice? I am, um, first off, sci-fi and fantasy are not too far apart. So I don't think you feel need to feel compelled. Like if you're the reason I did the pen name was more that it was uh, going up a lot, a big heat jump in level of sex scenes on the page more so than that. I thought it would be a problem for my audience, me doing sci-fi romance when I had at that point only done fantasy. So that's the reason, you know, if you do kind of PG stuff and then you're jumping up to R or X, you know, maybe you might want to do it no matter whatever else I say here. Um, but having done the pen name nothing, having done it now, uh, I don't know if I would do it again. Because uh, right, right now my pen name is barely selling because I've basically set it aside and haven't published anything new in two years. Um, I may, like I said, try a box set and just uh, see if it would be a case of the way things are with the KU and page reads and getting credit for up to 3,000 uh, pages right now, that it might be worth putting some advertising money in it, into it to see if uh, like a complete series box set could do well. But um, in general, if you are trying to manage two names at once or more than two names, it's very difficult, even if you're prolific, to um, keep both selling, keep putting out releases in both so that things don't fall way off on the other one. When you're all under one name, like I have series that I hardly ever promote and it's been a long time since I got even like a free book series or something on the perma free book one. But those series continue to sell to some extent because people that come into my new stuff, they read that and then they go back and look at what else I have. If you've got this hidden pen name, that's kind of hard for them to find. They're never going to be led back to that by your newer work. So basically it's just tough to keep two going at once. Um, if you do want to, you know, the main reason right now, and it's, this is a very Amazon thing. So if you're wide, I probably wouldn't bother at all. But if you're focusing on Amazon and, and KU and, and that kind of thing right now, that's when the pen name can kind of mess things up. Or if you're just genre jumping under your own name, like I uh, <laughs> found with doing the new Urban Fantasy series, as I knew would happen, a lot of my readers that came over from the last series I wrote, which was the space opera, were purchasing the fantasy. And I definitely saw cases where like people would get 
uh, sci-fi readers that don't know me would get emails about my urban fantasy because Amazon thought, well, these sci-fi readers are reading this. So <laughs> maybe these other sci-fi readers are reading it. You know, probably don't want to. And I saw the auto ads and, and Brian was mentioning how these can go way astray. I, I think Craig Martell said something like, yeah, I saw your new book on my page. And I'm like, wait a minute, you write military sci-fi? Why is my new urban <laughs> fantasy book being advertised on that page? And I even went in and tried to like n do the negative targeting to make that not happen. But um, anyway, the long story is that uh, if you're worried about hoping that Amazon algorithms will figure out what you're selling and help promote it, it, it helps to not have that history of a lot of sales in another genre. But what you might want to do is something like we had Jasmine Walt on and she mentioned that she started a new pen name uh, when she was having that problem with uh, not, you know, not being focused who it's marketing to, who Amazon was marketing it to. And she did that for like a year. And then now, though, she's claimed those books under her name so her fans can find them. So that could be a route to go. If you do want to try to do the fresh start, just think, well, maybe in a year I will put my, my name on it and claim it on my author name so people can find them. So kind of a rambly, <laughs> ramble, ramble. So actually, um, and clarifying, have you told um, your regular, your sci-fi fantasy readers about your pen names? I mean, have you like told them that you've got two pen names? And Yeah, I, the first three months or so, I was, it was kind of an experiment. So I didn't tell anyone. I just kind of wanted to prove to myself that, yeah, you could still start from scratch and and do pretty well. And then I told people on my mailing list, but you know, that requires that people remember because I don't mention it very often. Every now and then, like if I'm like if I'm gonna launch a new box set, I'll probably go to my sci-fi people and say, like, hey, by the way, if you need more to read, I have these smutty <laughs> sci-fi romances over here in addition to my more PG space opera that you've been following along with. But and it's on my website if people hunt down, like read the list of books, I'm like, yeah, by the way, I'm also this character, but it, this author also character, I guess. character. <laughs> it's a character <laughs> so I have but I don't it's not like blazing the first thing you see when you come to my website also you know Ruby Lions Drake <laughs> make sure to get those books too so so you're, you you just tell them about the heat level then when you but you said smutty I mean so that's kind of the way you tell them I mean you don't I just say that there's sex scenes on the page okay. I, I try not to I say smutty jokingly, you know, as we're talking. Okay. I was I'm like, not trying to like c condemn anything, you know, because, yeah. or he said like dirty, naughty pleasures or whatever, you know, I just, <laughs> uh, I, it's a contentious point with some readers. So I try to make it clear, like some readers, you know, some of the most vocal reviews will be about like cursing or not cursing or sex or not sex. And it's like, but okay, well, how is the story? Was the story okay? <laughs> so. It's, it's so true. Like, um, yeah, I've got readers who read erotica all the way through very, very clean, but I have to be so careful by, you know, saying this book I read is very clean or this book I read had this much heat level in it, you know, and so I was just wondering, how do you, I mean, do you have readers who read the other series and are surprised by content and then get mad at you about that? <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of warned them. I, I've, I've also used Mark Lefebvre's term, active romance. Which like. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah, though it may not, that may not be as explicit about what exactly is going on. Yeah, her, her active romance is like straight erotica with a little sci-fi in. <laughs> well, yeah, and then what I consider to be naughty stuff, you know, people that actually read romance and read all that stuff are like, whatever, that's so tame. There wasn't enough of it. Like, so it's just, there's so many levels of what people want and expect. Yeah. All that. 
Um, okay, so our next question is from Fatima. Fatima Al, I'm guessing, is how um, the last name would be said. <laughs> um, my question for Lindsay is how her latest launch, Sinister Magic, compares to her launches in the other genres. She discussed how advertising... Urban fantasy is more expensive, but are there other things she's noticed? Has she done anything different for this launch? And we we did do a, um, and she enjoyed the book, which is awesome. We did do an episode, the bonus one, where we went in depth into our launches. But I did like how she was like, how, you know, have you noticed other things that are different between the two? Um, yeah, thanks for um, checking it out, Fatima. That's really cool. Appreciate that. And um, I guess we're about a month since we recorded this show with KM Shea. So, um. I would say so far, like I said, I have spent a lot more on this one from everything from the covers were expensive to the advertising is expensive. And I was trying to just give it as good of a shot as I could because this was my first time going to this uh, subgenre of fantasy and it's the most competitive one and I knew it would be that way. So I wanted to give it as good of a shot as I could, but it has not made more money than uh, my other launches. Um, I would say I've done like four series in the last, a little over two years since the end of 2017, beginning of 2018 was when I launched Heritage of Power. It's probably in third place right now. Uh, I just published the third book as far as, uh, you know, how much the, it's making so far. And, um, all, all the prices were all the same. All those, all four of those series, I started with a 99 cent book one and then went up to 4.99 for the following books. All four were launched into KU. So I'd say third, third place out of the four series I've launched in that time. Um, books, book one actually sold really well out of the gate. I would say the sell through hasn't been as high as normal for me with book two and three so far. Um, that said, book two <laughs> came out like March 15th or something. So right as the COVID stuff is exploding and book three, now we're, it just came out. We're in April now, fully in this stuff. And I don't want to use that as an excuse, but I'm just keeping it in mind as it is possible that is a reason people aren't wanting to make the jump from 99 cents to 4.99 as much right now as they might have in the past. Um, I've also, I was thinking about the other day, this is the first out of these four series, uh, this is the only one that didn't have like a cliffhanger ending at the end of book one. I, I really wanted to do a standalone stories for this series. There, there's like ongoing, you know, a romance and stuff that's uh, developing over time and a few mysteries and stuff. But I, I just saw them more as closer to like kind of a mystery detective uh, individual story in each book rather than like the space opera I'm about to finish up. I got one more after the one that's coming out. Um, that's very much, a, that's almost like an episode, you know, a season of TV. It's like cliffhanger, cliffhanger, cliffhanger. Like even though there's a story in each book and it should feel like a complete story, it's very much they're trying to save their, you know, save the political system, get back to their world, that kind of thing. So you're, I, you know, as much as readers complain about that stuff, I feel it works. I, I feel that it's more apt to get people to drive on to the next one. Whereas if you have a complete story, you know, they, they might be like, well, I might read some more of these down the road, but I'm not like dying. I don't have to see what happens next. So that could also be a factor. Um, feedback has actually been pretty good overall. I, I've certainly had a few readers say, well, it's not my thing. Um, but I, I feel like I've had more overall say they really liked it. Uh, and this is also not just a departure in genre for me, but it's a switch to first person, which I hardly ever do. And it's a little more edgy of a character for me. Um, somebody was saying she's not as vulnerable as some of my other characters. And, and that was a bit of a nod to the genre and just kind of how she popped into my mind. You know, she's kind of a bounty hunter, hard ass type character. Uh, I tried to give her some vulnerabilities and the, and the usual, but um, I can see where well, some people really love it and others are like, mm, it's not, it's not quite like your other stuff. 
Um, but it seems like the first book did quite well and the reviews overall were good. And I heard from a lot of people that they really liked it. So I don't think that the story is worse <laughs> than my other, you know, than three out of the four necessarily. Um, so it's just new genre for me. Uh, you know, it, it's, I'd say if I did it again, I would probably just plan, have planned to do two, commit to two like urban fantasy series with the first one being like, I'm just building my readership. I'm not worrying about it. I'm not going to spend a fortune on it. And, and then maybe for the second launch, go bigger. But I'm very much, uh, I try to have the business mindset whenever I can. But as far as just coming up with the stories, I have to do what excites me and follow my muse to some extent. So um, uh, I guess that's, those are the differences. <laughs> and, you know, it's just me, my specific story. I'm not trying to like say, you'll have the same experience. If, if you jump into urban fantasy or if you jump into a new genre that's more uh, competitive than other stuff you've done. Yeah, definitely. It definitely seems like uh, it doesn't matter how thoroughly you document your own experiences. Someone's going to come along with an exactly opposite experience. The, the market is such that that can happen. Um, all right. So we had a question from Jason Morrow. When switching genres, does it seem to matter how much a genre may be saturated so long as you have a large enough email list? to get you through the first 60 days before the Amazon clips. Chris Fox talks about how he doesn't even send some of his books to certain email lists so as to not skew the Amazon algorithm. Do you, or any of you, follow that philosophy when switching genres? I will answer first, but remind me, <laughs> you guys, since it was for any of you, you guys are welcome to jump in too. Um, I would say when switching, you know, some of this is going to depend on how... Um, how big of a readership you already have. Because like I said, I can't at this point hide this from readers. I don't really have the option to just, I'll put a book out and maybe nobody will notice. Uh, I feel fortunate to be in the position that people notice and they go out and buy it right away. Even if I haven't said anything about it, it's just like, oh, surprise book. Um, I don't actually know how, well, this time Amazon sent out a new release alert before I was ready. So there's that too. But I swear people find stuff um, even before you've like claimed it for your author page or anything like that. Um, but I think what, what you'll see is that your email list will get you through like two to three days if you stagger when it comes out or if you've got multiple lists. If you've got newsletter swaps lined up with other authors, maybe those can help you keep the book selling for another week. Um, but those are never going to sell to as high a degree as like an orga organic mailing list that you've built yourself. I would say it's more your ad budget than anything that's going <laughs> to matter as far as can you keep this selling. Um, you know, for a couple of weeks to maybe help the Amazon algorithms kick in and help you start selling. It's the, it starts selling a little more on its own. I feel like that's getting harder and harder to have that happen. Like, I feel like the stuff I see that actually seems like it's sticking, you realize you go, it's like $0. And I'm like, oh, well, this is an Amazon Prime read. So it's getting a free downloads too from all Amazon Prime read readers that are interested in it at the beginning of the month. And there's just so many people advertising right now. It's, I'm sure it still happens. I'm sure people get sticky, at, you know, and it, it's at different levels too. Like, what do you consider? It, are you are you a failure if you're not, you know, under 250 in the entire Amazon store? Or would you be stoked to be sticky at 10,000? So it kind of depends on your goals too. Um, 60 day cliffs. I, I've not observed the cliffs so much myself. I, I feel that you do get, you get about three months where Amazon tag, tags your book as a new release. And I think that can help because that shows up in advertising when you're down there and the, the sponsored ads, it's like new release, which is pretty exciting. Whereas I found that 
I started advertising a little bit when it was a pre-order and I don't think seeing pre-order <laughs> helps anybody want to click that. They're like, oh, look, this book looks great, but it's uh, not available. So why would I go buy it? Um, with Chris Fox's advice to do, um, I think he's, and I think David um, Gogren has talked about this too, how much it can hurt you, especially if you're, you have like a nonfiction mailing list and you send like, you know, these guys both do stuff for authors, books for authors. And they, if they send out their space offer to that list, that's, that can get you in uh, <laughs> trouble with the algorithms, even more so to the extent than like, that's probably worse than having a urban fantasy book go to a space opera fan. So I, I do try to start, you know, like with this series, I tried to start selling uh, advertising. I used Amazon ads when it wasn't a pre-order, hoping that I could start getting it associated with other urban fantasy authors ahead of time. But I found that uh, in February when I was doing this, Amazon just seemed really slow. They were playing with a lot of stuff and maybe they still are, you know, but they also bots. So there was a lot of tinkering on the site and maybe that affected things. But it was a couple of weeks before the book even started showing up in the also bots on other books, like the ones I was specifically targeting. And I could see in the keywords that actually sold books, like it worked. I was you know, selling my books to this urban fantasy author that only had a pre-order up. Um, but it's it's tough right now. If Amazon's at all slow, and every now and then, a couple times a year, it seems like they start to tinker with things and, and things can slow down. It, it can be really hard to keep things rolling until maybe it kicks in a little bit. But um, <laughs> I would say that I've, you know, this is kind of, I've had this belief for a long time and this has made me uh, a little more solid on it, that it's, it's just always going to be easier to be a little a big fish in a little pond and trying to just explode on the scene in a big ocean of competition. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's not easy. And it is one of those things where you kind of got to hit the, not just to market, but maybe even the zeitgeist a little bit, you know, like what, what is going to be the market for this year? Get a little bit lucky uh, or just be really, uh, you're just that good <laughs> figuring out what trends are coming. Um, did you guys want to answer this one too? Oh, I was just going to say, or be really prolific because it doesn't matter if you're prolific and a good enough writer. You can just, you write what you want to write and you will find an audience. You know, I mean, that's probably what Dean Wesley Smith would say. It'd be screw Amazon algorithms and write what you want to write. And he's prolific enough where, you know, that works in his advantage, favor, whatever. And Joe, I have something I can say, but you can go ahead first and then I'll go after you. Okay. I would just say that, uh, if you're hoping for uh, a mailing list to get you through 60 days, uh, you must, you, you, you will need to have a remarkable mailing list. And I could just say specifically for, for myself, because I built up my mailing list unsegmented and I was dancing back and forth between sci-fi and fantasy from the beginning. Uh, it's it never really paid off for me to try to target one group or another, especially since my books are similar enough in, in like character and presentation that, I get a greater than average overlap between my audiences. Yeah, and that's really nice. Um, Lindsay, did you have a, re a rebuttal? <laughs> well, I was just going to add that to some extent, you can write whatever you want and build up a followership. There's probably, there's like a, that we've talked about the Venn diagram, what you love versus what the market wants and kind of finding that place to overlap. I think you do still have to be somewhat commercial with what you're writing if you want it to actually sell books and succeed. So. There's yeah, that. and I agree with that. And it's also, I mean, a lot of our listeners only have, I mean, between zero and five, maybe 10 books. And it just, it takes time to get a career established. And so if you're expecting things to go big in the beginning, you're probably going to be disappointed anyway. So, I mean, just write what you love, because if you're passionate about it, then it's going to eventually 
uh, work in your favor, you know, once you get caught up. Um, and then you never me, know. Oh, yeah, with sorry. that first series, you might as well, before trying to psychoanalyze the first series yeah. before you've even written it, do what you love first, see how it does, and then you can decide. Because there's a lot of people that do find success after that. They're like, my first thing was middle grade, you know, Nancy Drew <laughs> rematches in a sci-fi setting and it sounded really cool, but it didn't sell. And then they went on to like, whatever, why dystopian and killed it. So, so, But just try the first series, do what's fun. Don't worry about it too much for the first one. Yeah, exactly. My first series was middle grade and I couldn't imagine myself writing anything after I was done with that series. And it was, I was passionate and excited about it and I have made money on it, but not as much as others. It, it did teach me how everything operated though. Um, okay. So my genres are actually very different. Uh, so I don't cross the streams. Um, the only exception is fantasy. So if I write fantasy for kids versus adults, then I do tell my adult readers and the adults who read only kid books about them just because it, it works, you know, um, that way. But I never tell my fantasy readers about my romance because most of them don't care, you know. And obviously, I don't tell my my fiction readers about my nonfiction because they're like, I don't want to know anything about that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so our next question is from Del Cell. Um, let's see. I saw an old comment from you about novellas. Is anyone buying them at the low ninety nine cents to a dollar ninety nine price points? Is the sales lifespan of a short work just too short to bother with unless they are bundled? So I started out doing more novellas and short stories just because at the, when I started, it took me longer to write a novel. In my first series, they were all over 100,000 words too. So I was like, well, let me try. I did a series of novellas, kind of, that was my most legitimately steampunky steampunk thing, even if it was set in like the Yukon during the gold rush instead of like Victorian England. But uh, I would say that I've, I've since veered away from that in part because I write faster now. So it really doesn't take me all that much longer to do a novel than like a 30 or 40,000 word novella. Whereas I can charge a lot more for a novel and um, will make more because of the 70% royalty. I, I do think you can sell novellas, you know, there's certainly, a, and look in your specific genre too. Is, is that common? Like, you know, are there novellas? Are they doing well? Are they not calling themselves novellas? Are they they're just, you know, 80, 90, 100 page books, ebooks that are out there. I, I think you'll have the biz, biggest success if you're going to do the shorter fiction with a series of novellas or like serial installments. Um, I hardly ever do anything that I can't, I don't feel I can sell for $2.99 because of the 70% royalty, with an exception being a lead in book one, where I'm willing to uh, not make very much on that in order to possibly get more people in the series at full price. And, and that's just, like I said, it's, you know, you may be different. I think Joe does short stories more easily than I do. I just end up spending just as much time like coming up with the idea for a short story and executing it as a novel. I mean, not literally, but it's it's not like orders of magnitude more time for me to write a novel than to write like 8,000 word short story. So I find that best use of my time is to do novels. But um, like I said, uh, if you're not that fast yet, you know, or, I mean, because I certainly wasn't starting out. I told the story how the first novel took seven years. Um, that can be a way to kind of get stuff out there, keep things going, keep reader interest alive. If it's taking you maybe a year to write a novel, but you can do a couple of short stories that tie into the novel and maybe keep people interested. That may be more of a reason to do it than the money. Because um, even if you sell like a thousand copies of a novella at 99 cents, it's only about, you know, what, 300 bucks in your pocket. I wrote three bucks in your pocket in my notes. It's not that bad, <laughs> you know, compared to like if you 
do the longer novel and sell it at four ninety nine, right? You're making three seventy or whatever it is per book uh, versus thirty five cents. So it's a uh, it's just like kind of doing the calculations: how fast you write, you know, how much of it would you be better off working on a novel that you can sell for more? Um, but you know, if you are going to do it. Tie, tying it in with a series or um, but I will say don't do a novella then call it 5.5 in a series which I somehow did in two separate series I just like I need a side a novella with a side character for here and yet I wanted to tie in with the main series and for people to read it uh, for one thing you still can't put that on the series sales page on Amazon and I don't think on the other stores either so uh, you end up with a lot of people missing it just because they didn't know it existed so yeah. Do you guys have thoughts on that? I think that's all I've got on it. Um, I have found like I've got a fair number of novellas for sale, and typically speaking, I don't make any money on them being for sale. Uh, I'll put them up because uh, I've already made my money from them because I use I use novellas and stuff on on Patreon. Uh, they do tend to just be a thing that people don't even realize exists, and you can sort of let them know. One of the weird side effects of this ad that I'm running right now is that uh, people are like, you know. I'm getting new people coming through who I can see from the affiliate links are going through and buying a bunch of the old novellas. Like, oh, I own all these. Oh, but that's, uh, that's I've never seen that before. And so they tend to be sort of an add-on thing. Uh, also, they tend to be, in my case, a lot more useful as like a, a newsletter builder than uh, a thing to sell. So they're always an afterthought for sale for me. Yeah. And um, for me, like novellas and short stories don't end up don't usually end up making a whole lot of money for me but i think i've mentioned this before like 30 times probably i do use them as incentives to join my newsletter list or as don't download bonuses and and just like my most recent series that is a novella series that i did for patreon is only available on my website and so i get you know 98% of downloads on that and i do have people that download it um, regularly, not frequently. And so, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. And also some readers really hate short fiction and some love short fiction. And like what Lindsay said, just see what your genre is doing. There's, there's several subcategories and subgenres and romance where novellas, like 20,000 word novellas to 30,000 word novellas is where the money is at. And so, I mean, just do a little bit of research and see what, you know, see what works for your genre and also what makes you happy. Absolutely. All right. So we've got a question from Sarah K. Wilson. Do you still find that long, that's say six book plus series, are the best overall earnings or are shorter series better these days? Hi, Sarah. Are you the Sarah K. Wilson that writes the Dragon Academy books and was a guest on our other show? I, I think so. <laughs> um, so you know all about long series and serial kind of stuff. But um, I would say I'm starting to like having a mix of both in my backlist. Last year, I, you know, I've talked about this a few times. I had good luck boxing up two five book series into complete sets and selling them on Amazon in KU. That was sort of the last hurrah for those series before I took them wide. Like I've taken my Heritage Power series at and just made it wide and bumped it up to nine ninety nine everywhere. But um, they did re that one in particular did really well, and it's it's very appealing to the reader to get a complete trilogy or a complete series in one of those bundles. I feel that's just way more appealing to them and more effective as far as how many sales you get than like a books one through three, which can also be effective. But boy, if you can say complete trilogy or complete series and in a bundle, you know that's like a win. For somebody that just wants to grab them all. Um, and I would say that's that's definitely a right now tactic that's working um, where KU is a thing and where right now you can get credit for up to 3,000 KENPC. I think <laughs> that's what the pages is. And that may change tomorrow. So I wouldn't necessarily base 
your writing strategy on that. It's just something I was, I saw working for people. So I took advantage of it because I happen to have those two five book series anyway. Um, but you know, even if you do a, a trilogy about it's still something that can be bundled up later and it can be $9.99 and do some, um, you can do a sale at $2.99 with a book club ad or something like that if you can get one. Um, I still do, of course, love the longer series also. I'm do, I don't do super long. I usually end up around eight books. And I've talked about how nine would be smarter before since you can do three uh, three book bundles that way. But um, you're not necessarily going to want to put nine books into one bundle to make a complete series unless they're shorter novels. Because uh, like... I actually just did this where I put uh, nine novels and a novella into a box set because I had a cover for it from before where I was going to make it nineteen ninety nine on the non you know the sites like Kobo that allow you to still get seventy percent royalty even above nine ninety nine and I hadn't gotten around to putting it out there yet and I actually ended up just giving it away to my list this uh, last uh, email list or emailing with the new book you know just says like, hey, I know you're stuck at home and <laughs> maybe you don't have a lot of money right now. So here, here's this series if you just want it all in one place or if you haven't read it yet. And got like a thousand people so far taking advantage of that, um, just using Book Funnel. So, but um, in general, like a nine book series or even more, it, if the read through is good and that's key. Oh my gosh, I've run into people who have kept going and going in the series, even though people fall off after one and don't go on to two. So that's something to consider um, when you're deciding how long you want your series to be. But if it's the read through is good, it can be a real cash cow. It's um, the kind of thing that allows you to afford to spend more advertising book one. You know, if even if you, and, or even like I do sometimes give away books one through three in a box set for free if I can get a book bub on them. Because, you know, if you've got six more or more full price books to follow, that can be very profitable. And with the way the bids is how they have been on Amazon this year, you know, it, it makes sense to have a long series like that. Uh, so maybe you can afford to spend $10 getting a new reader if they're ultimately going to buy, you know, put $40 in your pocket. So I like a mix of both, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I do like to gauge how well the series opening books into a series are doing before I commit to like something super long. I, I've started getting to where I make plans for both. I could stop this at five if I want to, or if things to be doing well, I can go on and do more. Who's next? Sorry. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like fumbling. I'm like trying to get my fingers on the right keys. Um, and I was going to say um, with the long series, like some authors I've, I've noticed they're able to shorten a series, you know, so if, you know, like what Lindsay was kind of going around right there. Like if it's going to be originally a six book series and it's not selling well, they shorten it to three series. And I've never been able to do that. Like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, screw royalties. I need to tell the story. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I do this partly because it's something I'm passionate about, but it's also because, I mean, I do make money, but I just, I want to be able to tell stories and do justice to these characters. And so even though something isn't currently selling well, I don't end the series because I've found that, I, like I've said before, I'm able to make more money off of the series later after it's had some time to just kind of sit, you know? And so I, I don't know, like that's, that's how it's been for me. And so I prefer longer series. I like reading longer series and I like writing longer series. And so it just, I think it, you know, it's going to depend on what each specific um, author, what works best for them. And Joe, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Uh, it's tricky for me because all of my series are technically ongoing. 
I, I will let you know how I feel about long series once I finish up the current three series that I'm working on. The only series I have that's less than five is uh, is the Urban Fantasy, which I didn't write any new entries before because it was doing poorly. So I got to try to rethink that before I make. But that's even applied for five. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't have any points of reference besides the long ones. That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so unless Lindsay has anything else to add to that, I'm going to go ahead and go to the next question. Um, I just wanted to make the point that, like, the person I specifically had in mind who wrote like 15 books and wasn't selling any of them. You know, if it's your first series, I would probably not go long because yeah. your weakest book is probably the first book that you publish, just because you're new as a writer and you're learning. And so. That, yeah, that can be true. tough because you would be yeah. like, I have a friend right now that's editing someone's series and she's like, wow, my author's really improving and doing great. You know, she's like, I'm book four or five, but the first one was her first and weaker. So it's like, well, nobody's going to give it a shot if, if that first one didn't, you know, drive them. So, and you have to decide too. You're like, are you still having fun with the characters? How much does the money matter? Is it a hobby? Is it, you know, are you doing okay? No matter like, I'm still doing okay with my, my urban fantasy series, even if it didn't kill it, you know, it's still making money. So I'm not like, Oh man, I got to wrap this up at five books, you know, or something. It, it's not that situation, but I, I've seen that for some people. So it's just something to keep in mind. It's uh, how much money matters and um, could you do better with something else? You know, and also you can put it aside too for a while if you want to start something new without killing everybody necessarily to end the series. So that's also an option just see how things go. Yeah, and especially if the series isn't selling very well, then it doesn't matter if you don't finish it for a while. You can go and uh, cut your teeth or whatever the saying is on something else for a bit. But I mean, that's the way my first series is. The first book was pretty, um, I don't know, like who was it that says never disparage your own work in public? <laughs> I've heard that so many times. I'm like, uh, it wasn't the best. And I do have readers that get super offended when I say it wasn't that good. Um, but honestly, by book six, I'd really hit my stride. And that was the end of the series. And six books was a lot of effort to put into something when people weren't reading the first book. And so I definitely agree with that. Um, don't make a 15 book series. <laughs> when it's your first series. Um, okay, so we have a question from Dennis Stevenson. You've said you like snarky characters, and I enjoy them. When I've read your books, they seem to have a very Lindsay voice or brand. I hope he's not saying all of your characters are Lindsay. <laughs> I don't think so. I haven't noticed that. Uh, what have you tried to do to create that voice? Plotting, characterization, something else? To some extent, especially with the humor, that's just me and my sense of humor. <laughs> I, I will say that when I was starting writing, I remember I got scripts, a book of scripts for like the sitcom Frasier. So this was like 20 years ago. And I just, you know, cause I, that's like that sitcom, probably the first four seasons or so. I was just like, wow, this, the writing is amazing. The, it's so witty. It's, you know, it's so well done. Not every episode is a bomb, but you know, is bomb good or bad these days? I don't know what this line something it's the bomb if it's just a bomb i think it's bad but anyway so uh definitely studying a little bit kind of seeing how people have set up jokes and um then that's a lot of the humor is like you have to like create situations that are either inherently funny or something about them can be funny with the clashing of characters but um i i will feel that sometimes a character will seem flat to me and sometimes it's a matter of like maybe i need to give them some interesting quirks because uh people have quirks <laughs> you know we're all interesting people in our own way and that can create a lot of joke fodder especially if it's in a in opposition to something else another character would 
like, or just uh, like one of my space opera side characters in my Fallen Empire series. He's basically just a grunt, you know, he's like the security guard guy on the ship, but I gave him a, a his, his passion is barbecue, barbecue grilling. So he's always got his barbecue grill out when they're on the, you know, landing on the different planets. And his dream in the world is like to bottle and sell his own sauces and have an empire someday of barbecue sauces. And it, it was a lot of fun for jokes. And you probably know that person that uh, <laughs> they're like a foodie and they have a blog and they hope to be on the next Food Network star one day. So people are, have a lot of quirks. So giving some of those kind of things to your characters can really help give them a lot of personality and make them more memorable. So, and can I make a comment on that? Sure. If, if you have a character who isn't memorable and who isn't exciting, like maybe more straight laced and boring, then put them into a situation that is quirky and just see what happens, you know? Well, those are the great characters for the straight man, funny man setup. That was very much my first series. My assassin, Sicarius, he's just never smiles, never, you know, like he's totally humorless. That's the whole thing. And so that in itself allows somebody else to be funny. And if he twitches an eyebrow, it's like a riot of the expression. And the readers are like, love that, you know, <laughs> whereas so that, that can work too. There's just a, if comedy is something you'd like to do, there's a lot of great stuff out there to study. Not saying that's the only way to, you know, make interesting characters. Uh, just whatever, you know. Like I said, few quirks, few. Uh, you know, there's character sheets out there that ask you to do. They're kind of silly, but you know, they'll ask you like, "What's some weird? What happened to your hero in fourth grade that stamped them for life?" Kind of thing. And so I just think taking the time to think about some of your background stuff with your character and and things that they are driven towards can help them become more real. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so this one is from L. Darby Gibbs. Uh, this is for Lindsay and possibly Joe. What do you suggest for an introvert who really doesn't do well on social media? What baby steps can you suggest? I go in spurts and disappear because it doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah, this is not for Andrea. She is not allowed to answer any introvert questions. <laughs> so That's awesome. <laughs> I'm sitting here laughing in private. I'm like, oh, I should probably let people know I'm not offended by that. <laughs> um, I would say kind of figure out what is something that you can do that you don't hate, that maybe you kind of have fun with, that can also be a little bit of marketing and a little bit building your brand. Um, I joked with Kitty K.M. Shea when she came on our show for the that ladies who launch episode, you know, she was talking about how she hangs out on discord with her readers and she does videos and chats with them and stuff. And I was like horrified because that's so not me, but it's actually awesome that she can do that. And she has this really great connection with her readers, but I, and I don't know if it's just an introvert thing or what, but I definitely like to keep people more at arm's length. Like I got to have my private space, not just physically in the house, but like online too. You know, I don't want to be part of it is that with the relationship with the readers, I don't handle criticism very well. Like you really depress me for the day. And I even praise makes me feel a little awkward. I'm not, I try to be like suave about accepting praise, but I, I still have a lot of that imposter syndrome kind of feeling. And I'm like, Oh, my thought is more to downplay it. And just, like I said, I'll feel awkward by it. So what I can have learned that I can handle is doing the Facebook author page. Um, and I, I've talked about before, I'll post snippets of stuff I'm working on. Uh, um, I, I've also gotten into uh, posting the dragon <laughs> housewares, I would say, home improvement, I don't know, dragon toilet paper holders, anything funny I, I can just find while surfing at Etsy. It really doesn't take very long for me to find that stuff. And it, it's something, I don't know, it's kind of fun for me because it blends two of my passions because I've talked about before, I used to do content 
at, uh, content writing for the web on home improvement stuff. So I've always, I don't know, Dragon Toilet Paper Holders seems super fun for me. And I share it on Facebook. And that was one of my posts that kind of went viral. And it, it's on brand. It's not probably not going to sell books for me, but it's something to post. Like if you're struggling, like you're between books, you know, you don't have a launch coming up anytime soon. I get that it can be hard to figure out what you're supposed to post to keep these uh, pages alive. And, and um, Facebook, the Facebook page is one that works for me. Some people that are more into like photographs, really good, big on Instagram. I think we've all agreed that nobody sells any books on Twitter. <laughs> that's, that's more of a networking one that's kind of hard to sell books on. But um, And then the younger, I think, is a Snapchat that's uh, more the YA. I don't know. I, I have no idea what teenagers are into these days. Unfortunately, I don't write for them, so I don't have to um, be those places. But if there's one of those social media sites you can get into that also has the potential to be a place where you can put links to your books and sell when you're ready, um, you know, I find that as an introvert, I find that not too difficult to like somebody's comments. And, and I'll batch it. Like, I'm not going to jump on Facebook all hours of the day. Like, it's like, these are the three days a week I'm going to go on there. And uh, the, I happen to be in the mood. I'm standing in line. Well, not right now. There are no lines that I'm standing in right now. Maybe I'm walking the dog, you know, and, and I got my old one that's just like, she's got to sniff the mailbox for five minutes. I'm like, this is my time. I'm going to go and like people's comments and, uh, you know, reply if I need to. But I, I certainly have times of the day, times of the week, where I'm more inclined to be social online versus just holding up and working on my stuff. And interestingly, I've seen quite a few introverts that actually get into making videos on Facebook, which seems kind of crazy. But if you think about it, you're just, you're talking to your computer. You're not really, you know, doing anything with anybody else necessarily. And um, I think Chris Fox has mentioned before that he's a pretty hardcore introvert, but he's, you know, built up this uh, successful YouTube channel. And it's his thing is for authors, but I think we sometimes poo-poo that doing stuff for authors is no good for selling your fiction books. But authors are the people who you want to connect with who are going to mail your book to their newsletter, you know, <laughs> or, or mention that on their Facebook page. So that's not a, I wouldn't dismiss that out of hand as like, that doesn't have any value. But we've also seen people that are introverts and do uh, YouTube channels for on authory things, <laughs> you know, book review channels, if that's something exciting to you. So I just, I, I think we'll bring up the Venn diagram again, you know, trying to find the things that can, can be effective for marketing versus the things that you were kind of okay with maybe doing regularly. <laughs> uh, even if it's not like your favorite entire thing in the whole world, is it something you can do that only takes a few minutes a day or even less, a few minutes, a few times a week? Um, and go ahead, guys. <laughs> I was going to say, in in on the in the defense of you know extroverts, I mean online. There's there's a lot of people who you would watch online and you would totally think they're an extrovert, and but in real life they're not. Um, online, I think it totally takes out personalities because I mean you get people who are like way extroverted and they're always talking, but then I also know people who are way introverted and they're always talking and they're always commenting and liking and interacting with things on Facebook. And I'm like 93% extroverted and I hate social media because like what Lindsay said, criticism. Like I post something on Facebook and inevitably somebody's going to disagree and it's like, or they're going to be like, have, have you tried this? Or why aren't you doing this? And it just makes me feel I, I hate the way it makes me feel. And so I, t I tend to avoid Facebook. I tend to avoid social media. I'll, I'll post in my groups. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do things here and there, but I, I don't like online interaction. And, and so for an extrovert, um, you know, it's, it's, 
a lot of the same problems. Like you, you need to figure out how to present yourself in a way where you feel comfortable and where that criticism is not going to tear you down and ruin you for the day, you know? Um, and then like, I mean, Joanna, <laughs> Joanna Penn is an introvert. I didn't even know Lindsay Broker was an introvert until she said she was an introvert. <laughs> so there's, I mean, it's really hard to tell when it comes to social media. And I think everybody has to deal with a lot of that, that the crippling, you know, the anxiety that does come with, I, mean, I need, I need feedback for this, but then I'm inevitably going to get, inevitably going to get really stupid opinions too. <laughs> And there's always the people that are like, you're like, no book is out. Yay. And then like, well, I'm not really into your new series. Could you please go write some more books in your dragon blood series? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm working on this series right now, but thanks for letting me know you're not into it. That's so, when you punch you're people. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> when I complain to my friends. And fortunately they're very nice. And they're like, yeah, that person sucks. <laughs> you know, obviously they don't, but it's just like you hear you get it a lot. Like the more you sell, the more books you have out there, the more, and I've always felt, uh, Ilana Andrews, they have a big blog and they get a lot of, <laughs> they get a lot of crazy stuff and sometimes they share it. Those guys are super popular. So I, you know, I can't even imagine. I think a lot of introverts though, and maybe extroverts too, do still have the fantasy of like, I wish I could just write the books <laughs> and then hand them off to somebody else to do all this stuff. Like maybe the money's better self-publishing, but there are days when you're like, yeah. And I think that's human nature. Just let me do what I love. I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> uh, one thing also you can do is maybe Sunday or Saturday or something can be your day to prepare all your social media posts for the week. And then the rest of the week, you can just hold up and write. So it, that's a thought too. It's, it's kind of, because I know I have some days where I'm just like more okay with it. Like, I'm like today's podcast day, I got to go talk anyway. So this will be my admin day. So that's my thoughts on that. Joe, did you want to chime in too? Uh, yeah, I'll just say, uh, if you're not comfortable, like leading a conversation, sometimes you can just ask a question and a conversation start. This happens particularly well on Facebook where you'll just sort of present a question. It doesn't even have to be about your stuff. It could be say, Hey, what's your favorite sci-fi movie? Possibly not that one because people have strong opinions about sci-fi movies. But like, you, if you're not comfortable with, with being the person that everyone is talking to, you can just introduce a topic and let everyone talk to themselves. And for, for places, for, for social media in particular, engagement is what gets your stuff visible. So that's helping you and you don't have to do very much for it. And also, you're, you're definitely interested in something because everyone's interested in something. And if you're passionate about that, you can just share links about that as long as it's somewhat relevant to your brand. That's basically what Lindsay was saying. Everybody's uh, passionate about dragon toilet paper holders. They just absolutely. don't know it yet. <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess we're gonna do, we'll try to quickly because we're, we're, we're at the hour. Um, questions that we had for, for Lindsay, so I'll start. Um, it's fair to say most people out there got into this business because they enjoyed writing. Uh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't get into writing because you think you're gonna get rich right away. Uh, uh, do you find that depending on writing as your income has sapped your enjoyment from it? Uh, or do you still write for fun? I definitely have days where the admin stuff kind of bogs me down. Everything from answering emails to just getting the book ready. Everything is like going back and forth with the cover artist. You know, I, I still format everything and put it up myself. It's just, it's just easier. <laughs> I guess I'm enough of a control freak that I don't want to hand my passwords over to other people. But, um, so I still do all that stuff myself. And, um, it, it does, that feels more like a job and it's something a little more onerous than, um, I've talked about how I actually enjoy the days where I don't open my email at all. And I just, all I do is write it. And that's not to say it always comes out great. We've been talking about how right now it can be a struggle to be as predict productive as maybe you were two months ago. 
Um, I, but I really enjoy being able to write stories for a living. And I actually, back when I just did it for fun, I never finished anything. Like, I don't think I ever got a novel past 30,000 words. I just, I'd write until I got tired of the story or I'd just write the scenes that were fun and then I'd wander off for a while and then I'd come back and start something else. The next time I read some book that got me excited. So I never really finished anything when I was just writing for fun. It was once I had goals and um, the first goal was just to uh, finish a novel. I, I went through an online writing workshop where we posted a chapter and got critiques at a time, you know, and... I got to the end. I actually finished the last chapter on there. And then I had the goal to sell a couple short stories to magazines. This was kind of pre-Kindle. And then the goal was to uh, get, get an agent and get published, which didn't, that route didn't exactly happen, but it was a goal that drove me. And then the goal was when I started self-publishing to actually sell books and make some money. And I certainly look a lot more motivated to write now that there's money <laughs> that comes in. It's, you know, it's like with anything, it's like, um, if you're rewarded in some way, you know, I also, I find it motivating too when people say they really love the stories, but I want to, I would like that and the money, you know, as long as we're <laughs> being clear, I, I would like both things, please. You know, I, I find that that makes me write a lot. And I still, I, I wish, you know, I think I've talked about this earlier. I, I still write fun things. I don't ever write a series if the idea doesn't excite me. I, I have not and, you know, I feel fortunate because I feel like maybe some people have not had as much success with what they're passionate about and they've felt more compelled to try to do writing the market, which can be okay if you're excited about the thing that's selling. But if you have to force yourself to write, you know, I've, I've certainly run into people who are like, well, erotica was the only thing I could get to sell. So now I'm stuck writing erotica. You know, it's obviously a better situation if you enjoy erotica anyway. And that's just happened to be the most profitable of the three things you could have picked to write. But you know, that's a, uh, I've, I've always picked things like I may pick one thing, you know, may gauge like which of these is more commercial that I'm interested in doing and I'll pick the more commercial one. So, but I, I, I it's got to be fun. I really struggle if I'm not having fun with the story. That's when it becomes more of a slog to get the words down. That's, that's pretty, um, pretty um, nail on head, head on the nail. What is it? <laughs> Whatever that saying is. You hit the nail on the head, which yes. I don't do. Despite my interest in blogging about home improvement stuff, I'm actually pretty lousy at all. <laughs> Repair things around the house. That's awesome. But it's true. And if you find yourself bored about what you're writing, um, dear listener, you all know this, then find a way to make it exciting. Um, okay, so you've mentioned um, health problems in the past, and listeners may remember your comments about um, your cute, sweet dog. I don't know if you give names on the air, but <laughs> needing a lot of doctor attention. Um, my question is, how have you handled disruptions to your writing schedule and goals, um, especially when it comes to your health and en energy levels? Willow is fine with me giving out her name. She's not too worried <laughs> about her privacy. She, in fact, she's very bummed about social distancing and isolation because, like, I don't know how I got an extrovert dog, but boy, this dog loves everybody. He's so cute. <laughs> um, so I think we've kind of talked before about health stuff a little bit. And, I, you know, I feel that it is kind of hard to accept that some days you just, man, like that was me yesterday. I was like, it, I was writing from bed because you know, I was just like, this is just too much work to like be at the desk or be on the couch. <laughs> you know, the couch is hard. Um, and I, I pay a lot of attention to my diet and try to be pretty spot on there because once that stuff strays away, I, I get a lot worse with everything from mood to like joint pain. And, you know, I've had all these issues that someday I'll actually get like a legit diagnosis for something, but I'm 
one of those people right now. They're like, yeah, a few things are off here and there, but he's, don't worry about it. You're fine. You're fine. I'm like, uh, someday, uh, you know, that stuff. I know you, Andrea, have like autoimmune disease and that stuff. It's, that's one of those things where it can be like 10 years before you actually are bad enough to get a diagnosis or before things really show up. So we'll see. I'm just trying to stay as healthy as I can, but I, I've definitely had to accept that some days it's got to be okay. And I'm, I'm really hard about, I'm, I have a bad habit of beating myself up if I don't meet my goals. So I try sometimes early on in the day, I have to like adjust what my goal is going to be for that day. And um, on the day I'm feeling good, you know, it's like, oh, I went for a run and I wrote 10,000 words, which I haven't had that day for a while now. You know, um, I just like, yep, that's awesome. Probably the next day is not going to be as good. But um, I try to take advantage of it when I am feeling good. And I, I do have like a day that's kind of blocked off without much going on. It's my favorite days. So uh, the one nice thing about writing and producing books is it's a cumulative thing. It's not like, I have to put in eight hours every day or 10 hours or however many hours or even three hours, two hours, you're working part-time. You, you know, you may not get that much done on any one particular day, but I, I always like to be working toward a goal. And that's why I'm a big fan of word count or just tape, keeping track of chapters if I'm editing because I, I love working towards a goal and finishing and completing something. But I get bogged down in the admin stuff because you never complete it. It's just there's more. You answer an email and they email you back and you're like, why? Why did you email me back so soon? <laughs> Couldn't you have waited a day so I could get my inbox empty for now? Um, but yeah, I think that realizing that it's just over time, you're going to have more books written and more in your list and um, you're going to gradually build up a bigger fan base and not worrying too much about like the day sucked or this week sucked or this, I was joking <laughs> with our band writers here in Oregon. I was like, yeah, guys, March was just going to be the lost month. That's how it's going to be. And I was like, you know, probably 2020 is going to be the lost year. <laughs> so it's going to be for a lot of people looking back. Um, but yeah, just trying to, if you can plug away a little bit every day, you know, that, that helps. And eventually you have a novel and then you have a series. So that's my thoughts there. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and when you say you give yourself, like you give yourself permission to adjust your goal, are these like written goals or are they just your everyday goal? Um, not written. I'm not a really, like I'm in the weeds if I have to sit down and make a to-do list, which sometimes happens. <laughs> but um, uh, Usually, and I, I sometimes make a to-do list, but usually I just, I like to have one goal for the day. Uh, that's why I often will have like, this is a writing day. This is an admin day. And then on the admin day, there may be like eight things I have to get done within that admin framework. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not that organized. So I try to keep it simple and not give myself a whole lot of things to do. Then it seems more stressful versus just like, this is the thing for today. And then if I get that thing done, I'll, I'll feel that I accomplished good things. And Joe, did you have anything you wanted to add? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's simple enough all right well we're gonna go ahead and wrap things up i get to take the baby to a doctor appointment right now so um anyway yeah thank you Lindsay, so much for letting us interview you for humoring us and allowing us to interview you <laughs> um, thank you don't forget you guys are coming up next so. <laughs> <laughs> um where did you want any to point anybody in anywhere in particular i mean we give our guests that opportunity so here's yours <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> you guys can find me. If you spell my name, Lindsay Broker, anywhere close to that, uh, I'll come up on Google. There's my website and Amazon page and 
or Google Play page, or, you know, I, I've just released a new series, Why the Heritage of Power Stuff. People are looking for that. And my new urban fantasy series is Death Before Dragons, if you feel compelled to <laughs> check that out. But uh, we are just happy that you guys listen, and hopefully we're giving you something to listen to while you're stuck at home doing home improvement projects or whatever you're doing this week. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and wrap up then. Um, thank you so much everyone for listening and thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. Um, you can find the show notes or if you have a question or a comment, uh, you can go to sixfigureauthors.com with the number six, six and leave it there. Alternatively, which is what most everybody has been doing. Just join our Facebook group and um, post there. Then you can get opinions from other authors as well as opinions from us. If one of us happens to see the post, things have been going fast there. I have a hard time keeping up. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, what I was just going to add like this weekend, I was like, I wasn't on Facebook this weekend. It was having a writing weekend and a checking out of social media weekend. <laughs> so, so we really do appreciate it when you guys answer each other's questions. And I try to get caught up on my, when I'm not standing in line. But <laughs> what is it I'm doing now when the dog is sniffing the mailbox? I try to get caught up. <laughs> oh, dogs. My babies don't tend to sniff things very much. They, they put things in their mouths. So babe, dogs do that too. <laughs> anyway. Yes. Gross things. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, everyone. We will talk to you all later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>